The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. All right, boys and girls, my name is Tobias Wilborn. The name on our key is Beer It Is, and I am back here in Avondale, GA Avondale Estates, here at Wild Heaven Beer. And it's very important because the last time I had them on the podcast, it was Wild Heaven Craft Beer, but now it's Wild Heaven Beer. And I am here with Nick Purdy, co founder, co owner of this wonderful establishment. And before we even get into anything else, he's going to explain to us the new label, Wing and Change, from craft beer to beer. Yeah, when we started the company a few years ago, craft beer was, you know, obviously a big growth area, and it still is, and it's what we're doing, and it's what we're always going to do. Um, But uh, we were kind of looking at all of our branding and had a few things that we wanted to update and change about it. At the same time, I've just been thinking a lot about how the business is changing and all these companies are getting acquired and bought out and invested in with private equity. And then the federal government in their, in that lawsuit with Blue Moon right. said they're not being deceptive to call that beer craft because there's no definition of what craft means that any consumer on average knows about. And therefore, in some ways, the term has already been rendered meaningless and every day it gets more vague. Like, mm-hmm. is Lagunitas a craft brewer to you? To me, they are. To me. Right. But according to, to the some Brewers people, Association, they're, they're no longer craft beer. Founders, no longer technically craft beer. Right, because they're owned by... A Spanish yeah. company, right? Mm-hmm. Ballast Point, same thing. You right. go on and on and on. But it's like, well, in my heart, Lagunitas is a craft beer. Right, and they still make damn good beer. Right, so I'm like, I just started wondering, is that... It, the word has already been rendered officially and legally meaningless by the United States government. And every day, what is craft, what isn't craft becomes less important. And I just started thinking about five, ten years out, we just got to make great beer and compete with that. And we are always going to compete against the big guys, but we'll be out there in this market with lots of other really great breweries. And my hope is that it's not so much about, like, labels, but whether or not we just make good enough beer. Right. So I decided to get ahead of it. So we're just about having beer now. Hey, hey, it, whatever's in the can, whatever's in the bottle, let I feel like this. Let the market decide. You can say what you want about who owns what, and we can get into morals, but... We're going to do just that, and um, we're working really hard to make beer that people, you know, care about, and so we're just going to compete that way. And speaking of competing, you guys have a new facility, man. Well, not quite yet, but we've announced announced it. Yeah, so um, yesterday here in Georgia, we passed SB85, which is a law that's been a long time coming and makes us the, the last state, I believe, in the country where you can actually buy a beer from the brewery that made it, something that's always been really weird about Georgia. You come into our breweries and we can't sell you anything we can sell you a tour or right. a glass and so we've had these little goofy workarounds for a long time and now we have a chance to really just open really great tap rooms sell you beer over the bar give you, you sell you beer to go home with do bottle releases not be limited to just a tiny little amount and so uh we already know we're gonna have to expand and we decided about it uh, six months ago that we could either expand here in our own facility or we could find a second facility and actually run two different locations and here in Atlanta, there's this very exciting project that's been going on a few years called the Atlanta Beltline. Which Shout is out to that. Incredible ring of like pathway around the city through a lot of great neighborhoods. And um, the west side is starting to get built up. And we just found an incredible opportunity to put it, have a building right on the Beltline, right where there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of energy, far enough away from our current facility to kind of be a separate thing. Yeah. And so we announced yesterday that we're, we're, we're going to do that. Nice. And that's going to be interesting to me. So, how are you going to work, like, the brewing systems once you get over there in comparison to here? Yeah, so, like, here in Avondale, we have our 30-barrel system, and that's Mm -hmm. that's what we're producing everything on right now. 
And over there, we're going to start with a 15-barrel system. It'll have two purposes. One, to make beers just for that tap room. And then secondly, to make some beer for distribution, which will be some new beers, but also taking a couple of the beers we make here on a slower pace mm-hmm. and just move them over to this smaller system. Gotcha. So it'll take up some of our production. And then about a year, year and a half behind that, maybe maybe sooner, actually, um, we would be installing a 60-barrel brew house that would actually share a lot of componentry and uh, piping and whatnot. And so then that'll become our main production facility. And then back over here in Avondale, we would shift the focus to be primarily just sours and barrel aging. Wow, and that's crazy because now you get into the 60-barrel game. And I think right now in the state, if I'm correct, any, basically anybody over 30 is Sweetwater, Terrapin, not even Red Brick. I think, I think um, Jekyll may have. Jekyll, yeah, Jekyll just, Jekyll just upgraded in Creature when they... But, they, but, they're, but they're still on a 30, too. They're still on a 30. It's the biggest place. Yeah. So, yeah, there's not many breweries in this state outside of, obviously, Sweetwater and Terrapin and Jekyll. And then you guys will be coming up with a six-barrel system. Yep. I mean, and, it, and it's a big big thing to bite off. And when you start looking at the economics of it, it just makes sense when, you, when you're moving some volume. And our growth trajectory right now has been pretty strong. And we don't need a 60-barrel brew house today. But by the time we can do all the work to have one online, we should need it. And so we're betting on ourselves. And I know a place where you can learn how to bet on yourself, learn how to brew. It's here on Beer It Is on the CSPN Network. My name is Tobias Wilborn here in beautiful Avondale Estates on a glorious, sunshiny day. Well, a man, Nick Hurdy, rapping about Wild Heaven, the beer, the brewery, the spot. So, SB85, man, <laughs> let's get into that a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I mean, why did it take so long? You know that saying where you say a thing was a certain way until it wasn't? It's, that's what happened. There was all these energies fighting against craft brewers in Georgia for years, really dug in to say, nope, 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 you are not going to sell beer in your breweries, no, no, no. And then just suddenly it all went away. And it seemed a little bit like magic, but it wasn't. What it was is years of investment um, and a lot of business leaders making new good relationships, educating legislators, educating wholesale partners, educating retailers, consumers, getting fans to support us and say to our legislators, we are not happy with the situation. And it seemed like it flipped overnight. Mm. And outside looking in, it kind of did. But what it was is a lot of different efforts running in parallel for a long time. And finally, just enough critical mass, I think, was reached where the, the force of logic won the day. You know, obviously it makes no sense for Georgia to be the only state in the United States in which breweries are not allowed to sell the thing they make to the people that walk in the door. You can't be behind Mississippi and Alabama. No, and I've actually (laughs) used that. I'm like, tell me all the lists that we want to be on where we're behind Mississippi. There are no lists. None whatsoever. um, Be it civil rights, be it whatever. I I do actually think it was a bit of a point of pride for some of our legislators who may have not thought this was something important who suddenly were told, no, you're the last in America. The whole America. And they were like, oh, oh, maybe that is weird. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, a lot of a lot of spade work into relationship building and trust building across different parts of the industry. Got you know, A lot of people did a lot of really great work, and they deserve a lot of credit. A lot of leaders from the breweries. Um, Shout out to the Guild, man. Shout out to Nancy Palmer. Yeah, our, our, our local craft brewers guild here in Georgia, and Nancy Palmer, the executive director, has done extraordinarily great work, and we're all benefiting from that. So, yeah. And so, right now, I'm looking at your tap list. You're a Kiwi Goza. I don't even like it. <laughs> it's one of those little experiments for the tap room, which not everything has to be for everybody. But yes, we're messing around a lot with fruits. Um, we've got about 100 barrels in here, and I think there's probably 30 or 40 different ingredients scattered about. I mean, everything from blackberries to kumquat to mango to mint to rosemary to 
scuppernongs and muscadines. I say a vinegar girl. What the hell are you gonna do with that, man? Uh, we like to cook, and uh, okay, yeah, we're gonna we're actually gonna maybe uh, share some vinegar with some folks. Oh, interesting. So you guys have a couple really cool events coming up. Tell me about those. I don't know. I think you had like a. Quick, we'll be right back. <laughs> All right, so maybe not there's so much events, but. At least a couple of beers coming out that people you can kind of. Well, we do have something very, very exciting. Everybody knows our emergency drinking beer. That's our, our number one beer, and uh, we've been. I see some big fruit over there. Yeah, there's a lot of watermelons sitting in the middle of the brewery today because we have uh, been experimenting with juicing fresh watermelons right into the beer, and it is pretty great. So I'm just gonna do like a Gallagher routine, right? We right. Get the hammer. <laughs> no, it's a little more precise than that, but yeah, we uh, last summer we messed around a little bit with the idea of uh, of a watermelon emergency drinking beer. Oh, I remember that. That was fun. And, and you know, there's always a, there's already that salt note in the beer, and so it plays well with the watermelon. And so this year we're gonna we're gonna actually put out watermelon emergency drinking beer. We're hoping we can can it. We're it, it's a very difficult process to actually get fresh watermelon juice into a can in a way that is shelf stable. Hmm. And there's a couple little scientific and process problems. We're still making sure the solutions we think we have are correct. Right. Kegs are no problem. There'll be kegs of that coming out soon, so that's really exciting. And then our, our barrel-aged fruited sour program is about to hit the market in a few weeks. First with Emmy Lou, who we previewed last fall. Yeah, Emmy Lou's dope. Which has got a bunch of golden fruits. Then Joni, which is a cherry. And then after that come Mavis and Lucinda. And then later in the year, our collaboration with Cigar City, which is a very um, kind of like ridiculously complex blend of various barrel-aged beers that are in process now. And see, that's the fun part, man. And I love the ladies' names on those beers. You gotta, gotta tell me what that's about, man. Well, we just love music, and um, and so we we found some ladies' names that hadn't been used for beers that also happen to be pretty badass musicians. So, nice. You know, we don't have their permission. These are not endorsements. Their names, their their likenesses are not on the beers. It's just <laughs> sort of like an ode. Hey, Lucinda, you're great. Right, Joni, we see you. Keep doing it. Keep rocking. Yeah, I love it. And it's like I said, it's a combination of what you guys are about as a brewery. As well as yeah, making the music beer. goes back to our roots. I mean, our, our brewery's named after an REM song, so yeah, nice. And then from there, I'm gonna get you out of here. I know you got to rip and run, and we we'll catch up with Eric, by the way, for the rest of the show. And just from there, tell me, I guess, two things people need to know about you guys, what's coming next, and then how to kind of stay in touch with y'all. Well, let's see. Um, what's coming next is a, is a big summer of. Hanging out and drinking a lot of good beer. Anniversary too, right? Our anniversary. Oh, that's right. We got our seventh uh, anniversary birthday party bash, whatever celebration in May. That's going to be uh, May fourteenth, and then uh, guys are getting old, man. I know, we've been around a minute, although we feel new because we've only been in our brewery for three three and a half years. So it's kind of like half of our history goes back to the contract brewing days, which is great, and now half of our history is here. And then we got all this new stuff coming with a new brewery and everything else. So. Um, I think the best way to stay in touch with us is uh, at Beer Wild Heaven, which works on any platform. Hey, that's the thing. I love solo branding. That's what I do. That's what you do here. Guys, we're going to take a quick pause. Hopefully next we're going to get my man Eric in to kind of wrap this up. My man Nick has to get out and actually go make beer and go do business stuff. Yeah, I got to go send emails. It's really exciting. I know. Big (laughs) times. But listen, guys, thank you. And we'll be right back. Thanks for having me on. All right.
Hey everyone, this is your man Jeremy from the Crown and Collars podcast. Just reminding you that you are listening to a CSPN media presentation. And to check out Crown and Collars every Wednesday so we can tell you what your aunt does when you're not around. Alright boys and girls, I'm back from the break. Nick Purdy left. He had to go. He had to go do some stuff. But I am now here with the man, the myth, the legend, Eric Johnson of Wild Heaven Beer. Not Wild Heaven Craft Beer anymore. Nick explained that to us earlier. So it's kind of interesting seeing the different logos and everything. Eric, how are you, man? Man, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Man, no, thanks for being here, man. So let's get right into it, man. The SB85. We talked a little bit about it with Nick and the new facility. What does that mean to you? Well, I mean, this is something that, honestly, none of us actually expected was going to pass this year. It, just on the basis of the, you know, what's been happening in the last few years. And, um, I mean, really, it's, it's, a, it's a game changer for Georgia beer. There, there are certain very significant material ways that's going to impact Wild Heaven, which you're already aware of. I mean, we're building a second brewery. We're looking at reformatting the way that the tasting room where you and I are sitting right now uh, is set up uh, to basically accommodate you know, the different ways that we're able to interact with customers now. But I think one of the biggest impacts that the Georgia beer drinkers are going to see is um, a lot more nano breweries. Like, we're gonna, you're going to see these little guys with two- and three-barrel systems opening up. And frankly, that's what Wild Heaven would have done right. six, seven years ago when we opened up. Um, you know, but, but in the old system, you basically had to go big or go home. Yeah, you had to really start with a 10-barrel, 15-barrel or better. Right, right. And, I mean, basically, in the last few years, if you weren't, if you weren't launching with a thirty, you were going to struggle. Right, you weren't going to make. You weren't going to have enough beer for United, for Georgia Crown, sure. whoever your distributor was. Right, and they weren't going to take you seriously. You weren't going to get into enough spaces. You weren't going to make any money. Yeah, and I think a good thing for a great thing for the wholesalers now is they're not taking a chance on a brewery that no one's ever heard of that's making a lot of beer mm-hmm. that may or may not be any good. Right, you know, they the, even for the wholesalers, for the distributors, they can. They can watch these breweries grow as they're see at who they three barrels, pick. five barrels. And the ones that get traction, I mean, like Burial Brewing Company in Asheville, yeah. open on a little, like, three-barrel system. Right. And, um, you know, they just waited until they got traction, and that's when they started looking at distribution. Well, Asheville allows those breweries to grow in this more, like, natural, organic yeah. way. Um, Georgia doesn't and until now. And so it's a, it's a huge thing for the next the next hundred breweries that are going to open up in Georgia, and, and that'll be pretty soon, I think. Uh, so it's... It's huge. It benefits we, us all, also. But and here's the thing, right? Like you look at a city like Atlanta, where we're at the state of Georgia. How many craft brews are in the state like today? It's uh, around 48. Around I don't 48. know the exact number. But. The city of Portland has like 60. Sure. This sure. the city of Portland. That's not including the state of Oregon going to Bend and some of these. No, the city you know, of Portland has way more breweries than, than the state of Georgia. Yeah, we're the either eighth or ninth largest population in the U.S. And so. If Georgia had the, the number of breweries per capita, they say California did or Colorado did, we should have about 180 breweries in Georgia. Right. So and with that, about like 90 of those being in Atlanta. Yeah. Right. And 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 with the, with about 90 or 100 of those being little teeny teeny breweries. Yeah. That's what we're missing. All the nanos that are making like really really weird stuff. And that's one of the things I love about it, like going to Portland, is being able to stop into some small breweries, maybe like a fourth of the size of your tasting room. Mm-hmm. And it's just, that's a whole brewery. You go in there and you drink whatever they brew that day. And it's some guy who's been brewing for 30 years who talks to Ed Caliglione and how to brew and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that, and that's what George has missed out on. That's, that's, that's the problem with having only one customer. 
Right, and because right now the customer is a distributor or a wholesaler who then takes it and puts it on tap in you know these bars and restaurants and right. you know your beer bars and all these other places, so on and so forth. So with that, this new facility, man, talk to me about it, man. It, it seems so exciting from the press release and everything that's going on with that. Yeah, so we're we're gonna have a lot more customer facing space. We're gonna have about a ten thousand square foot. Um, deck that's going to basically be right on the Beltline. Sexy. Yeah, it's going to be nice. And in that western area, the Beltline is just not really starting to grow and develop. That's going to be interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what's... I I think that's going to be the next significant gentrification growth in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. It's happening over there. And then we also have um, about 16,000 square feet or so of the space is going to be all production. So we're planning on, and Nick may have have gone over all this, but yeah. We're planning on putting in like a like a, a little ten barrel, ten to fifteen barrel pilot system, right? Um, and that'll that'll allow us to have tons of little one offs on draft all the time, mm-hmm. at specific to that particular spot, to, to that location. But then right. also, but also those beers will be making enough of it to where a chunk of that is going to go to go to market yeah. for distribution. So it's not going to be just for that, but but it allows us to instead of having to um, brew ninety or one hundred twenty barrels or something, we can make these little small batches and kind of. Yeah. You know, work on a beer when it's ready to go. We can take it up to the big system, and put it out there. Right, and that's what something worth saying. You may do ah that really fun barrel aged stout you guys did. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that beer, man. Well, I mean that, that beer that beer really really got a lot of a uh, a lot of great attention, gravitational wave. And we shout actually, out to that the barrel aged and the non barrel aged on that one. Yeah, yeah, they they both were were I thought really really great beers. We actually. Um, is Who knew raspberry would go that well with a stout, right? Oh, yeah, it, was a, it was a great combination. Yeah. And then, and then smoked cocoa nibs. So it's kind of the smoky raspberry, yes. wrapped up in like a, you know, a a, a huge beer. That particular one was probably around sixteen percent. Um, and we, I actually, well, thirteen point nine, thirteen point nine, right? Because right. again, the Georgia limit is thirteen point nine. So you would never brew a beer over thirteen point nine percent. No, no, of course not. Of course it's, not, because not even possible. Right, it's not even possible because you know Georgia law. Right. But it may have tasted. Like a sixteen percent. Some some thought it did. Some thought it did. <laughs> right, but nonetheless, I'm sure the chemistry would show thirteen point nine percent. It would. That being said, that beer, the taste on it, the body, I mean, that may be something now you may do over there, or would it be something may come back over here and kind of doing a really small? Yeah, it's more likely we would do it over there. I mean, we, we actually brewed the 2017 version of that beer uh, like ten days ago. Um, actually, I brewed that like. The day before I got on a plane to go down to Hunapu. Oh. For, for the festival. We got to talk about Hunapu, man. Uh, uh, Hunapu is awesome. Yeah, we got to talk about that. Guys, listen, you're listening to Beer It Is on the CSP Network. My name is Tobias Wilborn, where we always keep it state legal on the ABV on all the beers. <laughs> and more importantly, I'm here with my man Eric Johnson. And you can hear tractors and trailers. Because we're in a brewery. We're in a brewery. So you can we're hear working. the noise. Yeah. And it's working because they're cleaning. They're brewing. They're doing the whole thing. My man Eric Johnson from Athens. And real quick, man, I, um, I want to get into this on the, on this. Mm-hmm. I was over at Terrapin today. Well, not at Terrapin, I was at SunTrust Park. Right, right. At the new stadium. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're new thing. Like, just, not necessarily, obviously I know you know Spike, obviously. Sure. That relationship from your time working at Trap and owning that place right. and then coming down. What's it like seeing that grow on being in a major league ballpark, craft beer? Oh, it's fascinating, man. I'll tell you, like, I, I'm a huge fan of, of the success of the guys like Sweetwater, Terrapin, all those dudes that, that I mean, they, they were the real pioneers. I mean, at, at the point at which all of us got into craft beer, they had really blazed the trail, and they were the ones that, that were our mentors. They 
they, they made us believe that it was possible for us to chase our dreams and do this. And, and seeing the success of, of Sweetwater Terror for the continued success of, mm-hmm. of those guys, Red Brick. I mean, I think yeah. I think Garrett's making some of the best Shout out to Garrett, now. Yeah. Um, they, they, look, their, um, what's their series called? That Brick Mason series? Yeah, great beer. They don't miss on that, man. No, no. I mean, salute to them on that. Solid. Their Laughing Skull series. Some craft hardcore people may clown it, but I tell you what. A lot of people still going in and buying that beer at Vortex of the place. Solid beer. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped for Spike and, and for the Terrapin Gang. A lot of those guys are, like, you know, I'm super close with. Um, actually, we our, our, our brew house, we bought Terrapin's little brew house before they right. expanded to their big one. And um, and actually, I had the, you know, the, the pleasure of, of brewing a number of batches with the Terrapin guys. As they were decommissioning it, I was... Um, I guess a, a stodge or a volunteer over there. That's a thirty barrel system, right? That you guys have here. Yeah, right. yeah. 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 And so I have to be into it. Like, what's it like, like working with spiking those guys? I mean, they've been doing it for so long. You being a craft beer fan and a home brewer, and all of a sudden you're going on the big boy system like that. Oh, I mean, it was, it was terrifying. I mean, we I, I know what to do at that point in time. Like, I, I knew what to do when it was like a small pot. Right. Um, Cooking on the stove. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and it was, it was an invaluable experience because, I mean, one of the biggest mistakes I think anyone could make going from a home brewer to commercial brewer is not getting commercial experience. And, I mean, that's one thing that I, you know, um, am hugely grateful to the Terrapin guys for is, you know, giving me that span of time mm-hmm. where guys like Wes and Brandon, yeah. you know, John Lane, Spike, mm-hmm. you know, basically let me cut my teeth on a commercial system that we were six months away from buying. Wow. You know, and so when we put it down, we didn't have a lot of the early hiccups of, like, oh, my God, how do we, how do we operate our equipment? Mm-hmm. And that was a huge... And then also, too, how to handle mechanical failures, because that's the thing. You guys have, like, something break every other day, right? Oh, something breaks every day. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> and then, like, so how much is that helping as far as being able to fix that kind of stuff? Uh, well, I mean, a, a, lot of my, a lot of my background is mechanical. Right. I mean, I, I, I only own old cars, and I rebuild the transmissions on them myself and stuff like that. And that's another thing, too, is if you're going to open up, a, you're gonna open up a, a commercial brewery and you don't know how to fix stuff, and you don't know how a draft system works, and you don't know how, like, you're going to... You're gonna, you're gonna pay a lot of money to a lot of other guys. They're gonna milk you dry. Like it's, you know, stuff breaks all the time in a brewery, and there's so many moving parts. We have, you know, at any given point in time, there's ten or fifteen pumps and motors that are right. running, and you can hear them in the background. That's why it's mm-hmm. so loud in here. Yeah. And um, when they when they shut down, you aren't brewing that day unless you can fix it. And that's not that's not a good thing. I tell you one place we can always find good things here on Beard is on the CSB Network. My name is Nubias. Well, we're gonna do quick. Pause for the cause. We're gonna pour up a couple brews and we're gonna talk through those. My man Eric Johnson, we'll be right back. This episode of the Beer It Is podcast is sponsored by Busted Tees, your home for funny, awesome, cool t shirts that are sure to get your friends' attention. Busted Teeth puts many of their popular shirt designs on sale each week. Choose from several eye-catching t-shirts inspired by pop culture. Cleverly themed t-shirts inspired by movies, video games, TV shows, comic books, geek culture, and much more are on sale right now. To help keep our podcast free, you can order from Busted Teeth by going to our official website, cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then clicking on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Busted Tees banner, and then you can shop for awesome t-shirts. Busted Tees through cspn.us. Do it today.
All right, guys, so we're back after the quick pause. And here at Wild Heaven, my man Eric Johnson on Beer It Is. And we just finished trying the Wise Blood IPA, which I guess that's kind of the, you guys call it an American IPA. Sure. Explain that to me. Well, I mean, there, there's, there's, I know there's New England, there's West Coast. That's kind of the, I'd say that's kind of the, the generic modifier. And, and I think that there's, right now there's, there's easily three or four different types of IPAs that are out there. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I could go on for hours about the, you know, uncarbonated yogurt that is the New England IPA that Blech. I think is kind of a bullshit style, even though they taste good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can and, say that over here, by the way. So, yeah. And then you got the, the Generation 1 West Coast IPAs, and then... The, the quote-unquote, the hazy thing they do. They, I'm so over that. Right. It's making good beers. Right. But, yeah. Right. And so, what we want to do with Wise Blood was, was have, you know, the minimized bitterness that, that is what the New England IPA is. Right. But huge aromatics, huge flavor, but... You know, I, I think that I think that hazy beers, you know, just are not my thing. I think it's a fad. I think five years from now, it's going to look like a, a 1980s mullet. You know? Right, right, right. Um, waiting for everyone to outgrow that base. So I want it. You know, I want a beer that's like clean and crisp, but I want the huge aromatics. I want the big, like hot board flavor in there. And and so we wanted to kind of, you know, have this beer be something that's kind of got a lot of those attributes, but it's between. You know what those generation two and the generation three IPAs are. Yeah. Well, the qualities of the New England IPA, but but not the oh, we left all the shit from the fermenter in our glass. <laughs> right, 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 right. And because those are like they end up having all that the fermentation on the bottom. It ends up having like this weird. Some of these places use like all types of extra yeast and right. flour and things to get it that look. And I'm over it. I'm mm-hmm. over it. Just brew a good beer. Right. Brew it with good hops. Brew it with a good yeast grain, and I'm good. Sure. Yeah, it's on the whole, it's a you know, it's a it's a relatively simple beer, right? You know, you got to get the water chemistry right, you know, know when to add your hops, and and, and yeah, you got to buy the really really nice boutique hops if you want to make a good one, um, and uh, and so you know, it's it's a beer that, that's still like a work in progress. I, I think that um, you know, as is true of many of the beers I make, you you would hope that every year that we become better at making beer, mm-hmm. and that we take the things that we learn and we apply them even to the beers that we've had in market for four or five years. Right. And I'm not saying we completely rehash all these beers all the time, but in the same way that, that you know, a chef, as they learn more and more about how to make a great marinara, they may discover things that, you know, new flavors that they're adding to that, mm-hmm. that give it more depth and nuance. And um, I think that... Maybe had too much oregano this time. Maybe not enough oregano. Maybe right, right. there's a whole other thing you can do. Or yeah. maybe they want star anise and cinnamon in this time because yeah. they want more of that kind of Middle Eastern, you know, like woody, earthy, herbaceous punch, mm-hmm. you know. And I think for us as brewers, um, you know, that, that it's 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 very much a journey of, like, discovering what's the best way for us to make this. And also what consumers want to taste changes. And mm-hmm. and so I think to, to have the beers that we make follow some kind of evolution through our own learning and getting better and better and better doing this, but then also consumers saying, like, no, we're, we're, we're really looking for something more like this. I think that that's where craft beer, from a creative standpoint, has so much flexibility. That if, if you're a winery in France, you got those you four got varietals of grapes, and yeah, you can do some blending and all that, but but you can't you can't like jump off the preservation. Like, no. it's, it's you got to stick with the confines of what that is, and so it's it's why wine is agriculture, beer is culinary, and so 
I love it. I love that the shrimp tomato way. Yeah. yeah. Here, because it's culinary, we're not. You know, I don't have that one varietal of grain, and I got to make the most of it that I can. And I love wine. I drink. You know, I mean, it's it's a phenomenal beverage. But with here, if we understand that it is culinary, and, and things that are culinary, we expect to change. We expect an evolution and an improvement over time. And and so that's where the wild heaven. You know, we want customers to, if, if they if they liked Wise Blood last year when they had it, we want them still to drink this beer and, and have a phenomenal experience. Um, but I'm not, I, I don't shy away from the notion that that if we can do it better, we should. Gotcha. And speaking of do it better, you can do it better each and every week. Here on Beer It Is, on the CSP Network, my name is Tobias Wilborn. I am here at Wild Heaven Beer, not craft beer. We talked about that a little bit with Nick, but I want to get into that with you. Like, what does that mean, changing the name to you? Well, I mean, it's, I think that the word craft, like, bespoke and artisanal and so many other words, um, you know, have in, in some ways lost their meaning. Mm-hmm. I mean, Blue Moon is craft. That's a Miller product. Right. They, they put that on their labels. And uh, I think it is artfully crafted or whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever they call it. But, yeah. You know, for, for, for us, I think it's more just, let's just cut to the chase and be direct about what we're actually selling. We're selling beer. And we're selling beer. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's, the, the, the word has lost like a lot of, you know, back in the 80s when there were only 50 breweries in the United States of America, the word craft actually was a very, very important delineation. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, nearly every single brewery in the United States of America is a craft brewery. Right, right, right. I mean, you have Bud Coors, Miller, you know, a few others, but all the other breweries are craft breweries. So it just became a superfluous word mm. that uh, I, I don't know how meaningful and impactful it is to um, to drinkers anymore. And you still have, like, in the old label, you had, like, the glass with the little bubbles, and the bubbles were significant. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the new label and what does that mean now? Well, I mean, I, I think that that's just good design. I, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, I would say there's a whole lot of, like, reading into, you know, the mm-hmm. nuance of those graphics. Okay, so, like, the stars don't have, like, a specific meaning? Or, like, no, it's more the heavens, in, in, nice. in, in, I'd say, in a, in a more generic sense. Makes we sense. We just wanted, like, clean, crisp, recognizable, good graphic art. Nice. I like that, man. And speaking of clean, crisp, and recognizable, you guys have some, you guys have an anniversary coming up, man. Tell me about that, man. Well, um, yeah, that'll be in, that'll be in May. We got a ton of like really interesting, cool beers we'll be rolling out for that. We don't have the entire list uh, formulated. We will have a um, um, an anniversary beer that's going to be a huge strong ale. Ooh, I love a strong ale. Yeah, so it's going to be a like a thirteen point nine percent. Right, right. <laughs> At this Georgia state limit, as it stands, we had to get we had to get Casey Cagle and some people to kind of up that eventually. Oh, I think I think I, I don't think anyone is is today is like really concerned about. I, I think that's kind of an, an afterthought. It just is there. That that'll change one day. None right. of us are too wound up about it though. Gotcha. Yeah, so they're not like coming in and bringing out the chemistry checked and you know going in and right, right. doing all that. Um. But from there, man, one thing I really like to talk to you about is just the beer scene. Other than your beer, what are you drinking in the state right now, man? You know, when I'm when I'm actually out, I, I don't I don't typically buy my own beer because we drink it here at the brewery all the time. Right. Um, I mean, I, I actually like many beer drinkers in Georgia. I just like trying what's new from you know all of my other brewing buddies. I mean, like nearly all of us know each other, and so you know when one of our one of our friends gets something new on tap at a bar that we're hanging out at. You know, that's that's what I'm buying. You that's know. you checking out, seeing who's doing what. Any particular things you've had that really kind of caught your, caught your nose or caught your palate lately? Um, 
Well, I just I just recently had uh, Service Brewing Company's Oyster Stout. Oh, that's dope, man. Which is uh, fantastic. One of the best examples of that style that I've had anywhere, not just in Georgia. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, they're um, actually... Uh, Second Self has a, uh, a service berry saison. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Recently, it was really, really good. Yeah, we got down on that. Um, lo- I mean, mo- more more beers than we could even run down. I mean, there's so much cool stuff that people are putting out. And then, real quick, man, you you went to Huna, mm-hmm. Huna Puday, shout out to Cigar City, that event. What's like? What's the vibe like there now in comparison to maybe what it was when you, the first time you went? Well, I mean, it continues to be one of the greatest fest- beer festivals in, in America. Yeah, and, everybody goes there. Everybody yeah. goes. And it, but especially for the brewers, I mean, it's Cigar City does a flawless job of exercising, uh, you know, um, of pulling that thing together. And, you know, it's just top to bottom, a, a totally pro festival. It was bigger this year than it ever has been. Um, but, you know, the people that go there are serious beer drinkers, and it's pretty chill. And, um, I mean, we're honored to uh, to have been invited to it, you know, multiple years. Yeah. And so what'd you take this year? I heard you had some really fun stuff. We had uh, Joni and then High Civilization, and then a little bit of Gravitational Wave. Man, I, I, guys, I really don't think you guys understand how good the Gravitational Wave. I mean, High Civilization, I love by the tequila barrel age, mm-hmm. which you don't see a lot on beers. And of course, Joni is a really cool. And I love Nick explained it earlier what you guys are doing with the with the ladies. Mm-hmm. And I love that, the fruited sours and kind of giving the ladies some love on that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it's part of a pretty significant program that we're in the middle of. And, you know, we'll continue to have, every year there'll be three or four of those fruited sours that'll come out. And they just take time. I mean, most of these barrels are, by the time we bottle them, these beers are 16 to 24 months old. So. And, see, and, that, and that's a grind. But again, in order to court a good lady, it mm-hmm. takes some time. In order to have a beer with a lady name on it, especially some of these ladies with views that are like musicians and sure. you know famous women, you gotta gotta let it ferment a little bit, right? Right. Well, I mean, it's for me that's just how sour beers are made. And ne- never been a fan of the quick sours. I'm not saying that there's not the kettle sours. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying there's not a time and a place for it. It's a Berliner Weiss or certain you know things that are not. They're designed to be more of the summer crushers. Right. And if you want to make a, a great sour beer, it just takes time. Um, it's, it's always been our position. And then last thing from there, just tell us, like, what's coming up next for the brewery? What's coming up next for you? What people are you looking out for? Well, I mean, outside of the expansion, we're, um, we're going to have um, Watermelon EDB is going to be coming out. Now, I see the watermelons here now. I mean, they're, 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 guys, yeah, they're, they're making it right now. Guys, you don't understand. They have like these big, green, beautiful, ripe watermelons with a nice little yellow belly in there, and they look like great. And I, I see them cutting up. Shout out to your head brewers, and I mean, mm-hmm. these aren't—they don't have interns back there. Like these are oh, these actual. Are these are the guys brewing and packaging and producing the beer at their cutting, and you see the seeds. I mean, it, it, you guys aren't playing around with this beer. Well, we. I looked at five or six different extracts or purees or whatever, and my thing is I'm not going to put a beer out if it doesn't actually taste like real fruit. We don't use extracts on anything, and because of the volume of beer that we were looking at and the number of watermelons it's going to take to produce that, you know, we were like, well, maybe it'd be better if we looked at an extract, but none of it tasted good, so uh, it's going to be almost 300 watermelon per tank to make it. 
And, yeah, in, in summary, guys, that's a lot of damn watermelon that's going to go into these beers. That's going to make a really fun product that people got to get. Because the EDB is a good beer mm-hmm. by itself. But adding the watermelon to it, that's going to be summertime magic, right? It's going to be solid. Then we get, after that, there's a double IPA that I'm in the middle of working on. So then there's a double IPA, man. Well, I mean, we're, we're only like nine test batches into that. And still, oh, excuse me, only nine test batches. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Because <laughs> no, apparently, take some time on it. three to four test batches ain't enough. So, I mean, no. what's, what, what do you think the end product of, of this is going to be? Well, that one I do want to be just like a giant, lush, juicy explosion pops that is, you know, I mean, that's 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 a goal there. And it's still not exactly where I want it. That, that's, that's one that, you know, maybe... Another two, three months, we'll have it out. I, I've heard some interesting things with the name of that beer might be. I don't know if you want to share that with the audience yet, but I've heard some interesting things of what it could be named. Yeah, I don't know if it's entirely been finalized. <laughs> it's like, let's just say it may have some fun with a couple of breweries around, and people may, if you know, you'll get it. And I think it may have some elements that you may be able to understand if you're into the IPA scene in Georgia. Sure. It's just possible. <laughs> anyway, guys, by the way, listen, I can do this all day with man Eric, and I'm sure we'll talk off. But, guys, check out Wild Heaven. This is beer it is. And we're out. Cool.